0: This is Emmanuel today, taking steps toward God's possible in your life. It's now time for you to sit back and prepare for insights on your walk with Christ. Let's join today's message right now. Good morning, Emmanuel family. It is good to be back in the house of God today with you. I love you. How are you doing? How's your mama doing? Just checking in, man. It is good to be back. I love you. Listen, I, 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 I'm not going to lie. I have a man crush on your pastor. Okay. Don't look at me funny. It's true. We, I've known him since I was in sixth grade. And, um, and if you, if you don't know anything about our church, you understand that when you come into our church, we're a, we're a church with many rooms. And in those rooms, we have small groups and, um, I was in a small group and Nate was my leader growing up. And, and it was just so cool to just be a part of the Roosh family all these years. So if you didn't know, I'm one of the many chocolate Roosh boys. <laughs> and, uh, and dad and mom are right there. Thank you so much for including me in your house and letting me eat your food. I was the one that ate all the bacon that was me. I did steal their bacon. But you know, God is so good that he let us grow up together. And I'm so grateful to be in a house where everyone is welcome and everyone is included and every voice is important. And so today you get to hear my voice and I want to talk about the word of God. So grab your Bible with me, if you will. And I want you to turn to the book of Luke. We're going to go to Luke chapter eight. This message is brought to you by the Bible, Luke chapter eight. And I'm going to tell you right now, it's going to be crazy in here in a minute. Don't be scared. Okay. Don't be scared, but we're going to act out what's in the word. It's way more fun when you act it out. So we're going to have a good time. If you're ready, somebody say, let's go. If you don't have your Bible open to Luke eight yet, say, hold up. Okay. y'all need to hurry up over there. I'm thinking about lunch. What y'all having for lunch? If you, if anybody here says either fish or fried chicken or pot roast, I'm on my way. I'm on my way, okay? Honey, why don't you come here and say hi to everybody before I start yelling? This is my wife Hush Marine. We've been married 21 years and uh, God has been good to us. Good morning. Thank you so much for having us. We always love coming here. We do. We feel like family. We absolutely love it. We have two boys. We live in Daytona Beach, Florida. Um, their names are Israel and Isaiah. They are 18 and 16. One's six, 6'1, one, and the other one's 6'8. And they are at a basketball tournament this weekend, so they couldn't be here. But they say hello. <laughs> Thank you so much for hosting us. Thanks, baby. I love that lady. She's my lady. But at the end of service, if you'd like to meet uh, Hush Marine or myself, we're going to run to the back. And I feel so bad. In the first gathering, I was praying for people and I didn't get to get in the hallway. But I have to warn you up front. If you come within three feet of me, you're going to get a big, sweaty, chocolatey hug. Okay? You don't lock an evangelist up for 18 months and think I'm not going to come out of that thing like, ah! Okay? I am excited to be back in the house of God and I can't stand it. I love you. Shoot. Where was I? Luke chapter 8. If you're ready, now we're going to do this. Now, now, when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him. For they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus A synagogue leader came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with Jesus to come to his house because his own daughter, a girl of about 12 years of age, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. And a woman was there who'd been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. Hold up some of you heard me say that and you went, Mm-mm. that's not the Jesus I know. The Jesus I know speaks in old English who hearken to toucheth my epidermis. That is not how Jesus asked the question. I can prove it. Okay. Jesus is walking through the crowd and the crowd is crushing against him. And Jesus goes, hey "Amen. who touched me? See, your Jesus is like British, and from the 20s, my Jesus is gangster with dreadlocks. (laughs) Just throwing that out there. That's not in the Bible. I made that up. He said, who touched me? And and, and when they all denied it, hold up, er, denied it, what do you mean? See, I told you, Jesus didn't ask that question cute. They all denied actually. T- they're like, oh, get back, get back. <laughs> Nobody touched you, Jesus. Nobody. It was probably the Uncle Bootsy. Everybody know drunk Uncle Bootsy. You can't trust him. He touched you. They all denied it. What did they do? They kind of weird, huh? Who would deny touching Jesus? Peter said, master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, nah, man, somebody touched me. I felt power or dunamis. I know that it's gone out for me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling. Somebody say that word trembling. When's the last time you were so afraid you trembled? I mean, that scared that you trembled, that's some serious fear. She came trembling, trembling, and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she touched him and how she'd been instantly healed. And then he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Today, before we go to lunch, I'm going to show you how Jesus healed a woman with one touch. And you and I are going to heal our world with one touch. But then he also saved her life with one word. And God is going to give us that word today. If you're ready, say, let's go. Father, I pray today that your word will transform us from the inside out, transforming and renewing our mind in Jesus name. And everybody say, amen. 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 I am a touchy person. I like touching people, but I'm still American. So I'm used to having like personal space. You know what I mean? Until I want to break through the personal space, I have this personal bubble. And for many years, my wife and I were missionaries in Hong Kong for six years. And while we were there, I noticed that people over there had a different understanding of personal space than I did. Like you'd get in line and it would be, you know, your gut on someone's back. The lines were tight. And if you spaced out, there would be 95 Chinese people in the line in front of you in two seconds if you spaced out. And I learned in China, you don't leave room like that. And, and then something really strange would happen. I'd go to a, a coffee shop, lots of coffee shops in Hong Kong. And my wife and I as missionaries, we'd take time out and during the afternoons and go in the coffee shop and sit down and plan the rest of our evenings. And, and while we were in there, invariably, the next guest or the guest after that would come in, pay for their coffee and come. And if there's a table of four and we're sitting in two chairs, there's empty seats all over the room, the next guest would come and sit right next to us. And I used to be like, why are these people so close? And then they'd look at me with that wonderful, nervous smile. <laughs> and I'd look at them like, <laughs> passive aggressive, could you leave fleece? <laughs> I sure love you. Bye. You know, they wouldn't move. And I'd be like, why is this happening? Finally, I asked the pastor that was there, Pastor Billy Lau. I said, pastor, I don't get it. Every time my wife and I go to a restaurant or, or, or a, a, a mall food court or a coffee shop and we sit down alone or I sit down alone, guests will come in and sit right next to me. There's empty seats everywhere. Why? He said, honor. I went, what? What? He goes, listen, Alan, we are people who've learned to live amongst each other for hundreds and thousands of years, learned to live among hundreds of millions of people. And we live on an honor principle. And here's what honor says. Honor says, if I come into a place and there's a seat next to you and you don't have anybody sitting there, I should not let you sit alone. He said, space is waste. I said, oh my, we have a lot to learn, don't we? (laughs) He said, they don't want you to sit alone. They want you to know that you're cared about, that that you don't don't repel them, that they want you and you should want them, that everyone's accepted. Wow. You know what? There were a lot of people around Jesus and, and some of them were even really physically close, but they were wasting that space because the space was between their heart and God's heart. But there was one woman who had no space in her heart that when she got close to Jesus, it was with a purpose. I I want you to know that today, God is gonna put in you a desire that everything you do for God has purpose. That when we reach out to him in worship, there's purpose. That when we read our word, there's purpose. When we live in community, there's purpose. And the purpose is the kingdom of God. And that kingdom will have no end. And you will bring the kingdom to this city Because <laughs> we're not going to waste anything, not even our touch. See, I, I, I like hugging people. After service, you're going to get hugged. You can stiff arm me all you want. I'm going to be like... <sighs> because the world has been trying to steal our touch. Long before COVID, man, I'm telling you, we were getting weird in our country before COVID. COVID only enhanced it a little bit, but we were getting weird like, oh, you know, space, give me space. And I know there's such things as stranger danger and bad touching. I'm not crossing that line. What I'm saying is we've lost affection. Affection has started to drift away and it's gotten to the point, can I be a little bit real for a second? It's gotten to the point where we go zero to sexuality without affection, without touch. Like I remember the the juxtaposition of our love stories was for a kiss. If I could just get one kiss. If I could just to be close to you, girl. You know what I'm saying? The romantic nature of touch and the infectious nature of spiritual and physical intimacy. We need to get that and keep that, especially in the church. The disciples didn't get it either. Y'all check it out. These disciples were tripping. Matthew 19 verse 14. Then people brought little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked them. How many y'all know that's jacked up? Jesus said, man, y'all better quit. Oh, wait, that's in the ghetto translation. (laughs) Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. When he placed his hands on them, he went on from there. See, Jesus was constantly trying to disciple us through them. And Jesus knew they were clueless. That's why they were called the disciples. And he wanted them to understand that there's a community culture and then what Jesus brought, a kingdom culture. And he wanted to take them from this great, beautiful community into an understanding of the kingdom. Mm, This is good. So in in the community, it was honor, dishonor culture. Okay, You do something to dishonor your household, the elders look at you. and "Mm -mm -mm -mm." And if it's really bad, they're charged. This is weird. They were charged to even kill their own children. If their children disobeyed, man, you, if it was my house, we'd have went through a lot of kids by now. (laughs) This is Johnny the ninth, you know, it'd be, that's crazy. And so the understanding they had of the value of children was so different than the value they had in the kingdom. You see the children, the community in, in, in the community had little value. They weren't considered to be important. But in the kingdom of God, Jesus said, You have to come in as a child. In fact, you have to be born again like a child to come into his kingdom. In other words, Children have incredible value. Do you understand now why your church is a kingdom church and you have kingdom children's ministry right up there? People that have given their life, their blood, their sweat, their tears, their toil, so that our children will hear the gospel with creative and inventive and excellent ways. You got it going on because your kids are getting the good stuff. They're up there getting toys and candy right now. What you get? Me. You just got played. Isn't it crazy? Back then, they didn't see it. And so Jesus had to bring his kingdom and open it up so they could see what it looks like. That women had value. Children had value. And what they bring to the table is a fuller grasp and understanding of God's kingdom. Mm, mm, mm. See, back in the days of Christ, um, the children of Galilee went through cycles of life. These are really fascinating. And in the cycles of life from zero to six years of age, they were in a period called freedom period. And the children could do whatever they wanted. They ran the streets like crazed little ninjas. It was awesome. Complete freedom. I was in uh, Canada a couple years ago for Easter, Passover for the Jewish traditions. And, and while I was there, I was in a hotel and the, a bunch of Orthodox Jewish people were in my hotel celebrating Passover. Pretty stinking cool. But all their children that were zero to six were running like wild banshees through the hotel. There were kids in the fountain setting off alarms. It was I spanked three of them in the elevator when their mama wasn't looking. These kids, I'm just kidding, I didn't do that. These kids were out of control. And I was like, man, even today, they're in the freedom period. Do whatever you need to do, enjoy your childhood. But then from six to 10, they start educating. Only the boys, mind you, because back then they weren't very smart. They didn't understand that women have it going on. But from six to 10 years of age, they entered a period called Beth Sefer. And during Beth Sefer, the students would study the Torah, the Bible, and they would study it in complete silence. The only time they got to talk in school was to quote the Torah. Pretty cool. I bet a lot of educators today wish kids from six to 10 were completely silent in school other than to quote the Bible. That'd be pretty sweet. Then from 10 to 14, they entered a period called Beth Talmud, Talmud. And during that period, they would study nearly 400 pages of Talmudic, which is cultural, spiritual, and prophetic writing about God's investment or the interaction between God and humanity through biblical prophetic writing. They would literally study that and memorize the flow of that and the characters of that. And then at 12 years of age, they were enabled to ask questions. And at 12 years of age, they would also make their decision of what they were gonna do for their vocation. Am I going to follow my family business or am I going to go into religious service? And at 14 years of age, they would find and chase down a rabbi and serve them. Come here, Rabbi Nathan. (laughs) Turn and receive your mantle. You are now Rabbi Nathaniel. Okay, so the rabbi would be walking down the street and the, the, the young men would chase him and pull on the tassel, freeze. This is what the woman who was bleeding touched the seat zit of Jesus' talil or his prayer shawl. This represented prayer and intercession. She touched Jesus' intercession. The only part that was showing of this garment, it wasn't showing like this. There'd be an outer garment covering it, but these tassels would hang down. She crawled on the ground and reached out and touched the tassel. And she was healed. The young men in the community would chase down the rabbi. And while the rabbi's walking, they would pull on it and say, Rabbi, teach me, teach me, teach me. And the rabbi would stop and yell out a price. $50. $50. And the price was based on if that kid was a good student or a naughty student. If they're a good student, 50 bucks. Come on, let's go. If they're a naughty, 500 for one hour. How many y'all teachers wish you could do that? <laughs> Charge them based on how they act. Mm-hmm. My mom was a teacher. She's a great teacher. 54 years my mama taught. And man, she has some bad kids and some excellent kids. But she did one thing. She touched all of them. She'd walk around the classroom, put her hand on the shoulder, and she'd pray in the spirit under her breath. And her students constantly outperformed other students. And people would say, what is it? She'd go, it's not just the teaching. It's the power of God and the love of God in this classroom. (laughs) And if the, if the price was too high, that young man will walk away sad because the price was too much for him to pay. Remember the rich young ruler? He said to Jesus, Jesus, I want to follow you. Uh, and Jesus goes, okay. He says, I've obeyed all the rules. Uh, and Jesus, he goes, what do I have to do? And Jesus said, well, this one thing you like. Go sell everything you have, give the money to the poor, and come follow me. And the Bible says the rich young man walked away sad because the price was too, it was too high. As soon as he starts serving that, that, that priest... The priest would, you can go back down to your seat, Rabbi Nathaniel. I mean, with the beard, he does kind of look like, okay. (laughs) During that period of serving that rabbi from 14 till 30 years of age, that young Jewish young man would do whatever that rabbi wanted. If that rabbi wanted a sandwich at two o'clock in the morning, he'd go get the, 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 the meat, get the bread, make even if he has to bake bread, to make sure that rabbi got what he wanted. They would call themselves slaves to the rabbi. That was a period called Beth Midrash, the house of study. It's funny because the Jewish men would, would tease and say it was the house of suffering because they would suffer while they served. The suffering servant whatever that rabbi wanted for 15 to 16 years till they were 30 years old. And then they became a rabbi themselves at 30 years of age. They were able to get their own slaves, disciples, and then rabbis. How old was Jesus when he began his public ministry? How old did they say he was about 30? Interesting. And so this period was powerful, but Jesus said, you know what? I know where you come from. It's nice. It's really cute how you do community, but let me show you how the kingdom works. See, when Jesus went out, his disciples didn't pick him. He chose them. I'm so glad that Jesus chose us before we even knew he existed. The Bible says before the foundations of the world were laid, he chose you. He chose us to be sons and daughters of God. He picked you first. He loved you first. If there is a kickball game in heaven, he picked you in the first round of the kickball draft. He loves you. That's amazing. And he said, come follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. Hey, come on, you tax collectors. Follow me and bring all your little tax collector friends with you. I love that Jesus included people that nobody else liked. He's the man. And then he changed their identity. Remember, when you first follow him, you're the slave. Jesus didn't calm slaves. This is so cool. John chapter fifteen, verse fourteen. He says, "This you are my friends." Everybody say, "I'm God's friend." If you do what I command, I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything I've learned from my father, I've made known to you. And we even sing songs about it. I am a friend of God. Remember that song? It's a jam. I am a friend of God. Yeah. I am a friend of God. He calls me Fred. Isn't that great? I love that song. But here's the deal that song's incomplete. You see, there's a progression. There's a progression it doesn't stop there. God wants to take you in closer. Matthew chapter 12, verse 46. While Jesus was talking to a crowd, his mom and his brother stood outside. They should've came inside. His mother and brother stood outside wanting to speak with him. Someone even told him, your mom and your brothers are standing outside and they want to talk to you. He replied to him. He wasn't being cheeky now. Who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. I read that and I went, hold up. This is interesting. Now, Jesus is the master of the metaphor. But was he being metaphoric? Or is he being literal? I believe in my study that Jesus was being literal. That there is a community culture, which the Bible says shall end, but there is a kingdom culture, and his kingdom there shall be no end. And so he's talking about kingdom culture. Now, let's get a couple questions out of the way. These are simple. Does Jesus sin? Never sinned. Okay, let me ask one more. It's a dumb question, but I gotta ask it. Does Jesus lie? No, okay, he never lied. Okay, if that's true, then what did he just do there? He created a family. Instantly. Amazing. Why is that important? Well, you would never understand the story of this woman who was bleeding without this understanding of family. Neither would I. I would have never gathered or understood it. Let me explain. Jesus had a jacked up family, he did. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking what I used to think. At Christmas, we sing songs about it. Away in a manger, no crib for a bed. What a great song. Or joy to the world, the Lord has come. What a great song. Oh, man. Silent night, holy night. And we imagine this perfect Jesus situation. But the truth is, his family was more jacked up than yours and way more jacked up than mine. How many of y'all got crazy people in your family? How many of y'all you are the crazy people in your family? <laughs> <laughs> Jesus understood you. OK? I mean, everybody got a crazy uncle, you know what I'm saying? T.O. Allen is local. Everybody knows that, okay? But here's the deal. Here's the deal. Jesus' family wasn't just weird or strange. They were disrupted by sin and the fear of dishonor. When when Mary was pregnant with Jesus, imagine your 13-year-old, 14-year-old daughter coming home and going, hey, mom, dad, I'm sorry, I'm pregnant. But there's good news. What kind of good news could come out of that? Who is the guy? I'll kill him. I'll kill him. And she goes, it's God's baby. Would you believe her? No. Even if she was perfect, you wouldn't believe her. Nobody believed Mary. They thought she was a hussy, y'all. Everywhere she went, they're like, mm hmm. There she go. Mm hmm. That's like, mm hmm. And then, because of the honor dishonor culture in the community, her family was charged with her murder. They were supposed to kill her. Her husband's family was supposed to kill her to bring honor back to the family. It makes everything make sense when you think of the honor-dishonor culture and how they would treat anyone who brought dishonor to the house. So from the very beginning, right? Mary's pregnant and Joseph brings her to Jerusalem for the Passover. I should say for the, for the, for the taxation celebration. And during this taxation celebration, which it wasn't very celebratory, during this taxation, he travels multiple t- 17 plus miles. With a nine-month pregnant woman on a donkey. How many of y'all know when a woman's pregnant, you do not move her at all? You don't even talk to her other than to take orders and say, yes, ma'am. <laughs> he put her on a donkey and rode tens of miles. Why? Because if he left her at home, I guarantee you he was nervous that she would be killed. When they get to, to Jerusalem, his family knew he was coming. They, they, the family always prepared for every major high holiday. And this tax thing wasn't a holiday, but it was a, a, a time where the family came together. There was room in the house, but they made sure there wasn't. Because Mary was coming. So Jesus is born and placed in a manger. And the cattle were not singing, they were pooping. shoot. Jesus is born. Angels rejoice, but they have to move to Egypt. Why? I believe it's because Jesus's mother and father knew that if they brought him back home, that Joseph's family would turn Jesus into King Herod and let him be murdered rather than let the dishonor continue in their home. They go to Jerusalem for the Passover. They didn't leave Jesus' naughty little brothers. Who did they leave in Jerusalem behind? Jesus during the Passover. They left the perfect son of God behind. They didn't didn't forget naughty little James. They forgot the dude that could multiply a happy meal and feed a village. You don't forget people that multiply Chick-fil-A. And, and they go back to Jerusalem, and here's what happened Jesus had made his decision. He's in the temple, and what's he doing? Because he's 12 years of age, he's asking questions. And his mom, his mom talks to him, not his dad. Not his dad. Not his dad. His mom talks to him and says, baby, what what did you do? We were worried about you. And Jesus said, but mama, didn't you know I've chosen my vocation that I'm not going to serve my earthly culture heritage as a carpenter or a tecton. I'm going to be about my father's business. I'm going to be a kingdom advancer. I'm going to preach the good news to the world. This is so crazy. And you go, well, Alan, I think you're stretching this thing. I don't think Jesus' family was that jacked up. Worship team, come on out here. Make me sound spiritual so these people won't question me anymore. (laughs) I don't think Jesus' family was that messed up, preacher. Hold up. Jesus described himself several ways. Jesus said, I'm the son of man. Normally, he'd be able to claim, I'm the son of Joseph. Joseph. Jesus described himself like this. He said, um, I'm going to be about my father's business, my, my heavenly father. And then he described himself like this I'm the stone that the builders rejected. Well, huh? What does that even mean? What was his dad's business? Carpenter. Is there a lot of wood in Israel? So when they build, what do they build with? Rock, stone. His dad's title was called tecton, where we get tectonic. Okay, tecton is a stone worker, not a mason, that's a different job. Stone worker, okay, a carpenter. And and, and they plan construction and they start to bring construction together. They hire, it's almost like a, a, a contractor, if you will. And Jesus said this, I'm the stone. He said that the builders rejected who is he talking about most of us and many theologians believe he's talking about his family I'm the stone that the builders, the tectons rejected that has now become the chief cornerstone. In other words, man, maybe your family's all messed up. Maybe your family has hurt you from the very beginning of your life. Maybe your family is confused. Maybe your family doesn't know God and it's been a a problem for you. I want you to know that Jesus understands you and he said to Peter, upon this rock, I'll build my church. You might be the foundation for an entire generation to serve and know God. You might be the person that through your pain Jesus can love you and strengthen you and heal you and make you the legacy leader that generations need to see because Jesus understands our family pain and our community pain when the people from his town said oh look at that there's Mary's son over there that's a cuss y'all When his people from his hometown said he's Mary's boy, that's calling him the B word. Because they identified men by their father. Now you understand. When Jesus was baptized by John and he comes out of the water, you understand that his whole life he's been called fatherless. His whole life he's been rejected by humans. His whole life people kind of question his mom's integrity. And her life was sometimes in peril. But one day, he goes out to the river and John the Baptist baptizes him. And when he comes out of the water, the Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove. And his father in heaven says, I know y'all been wondering. I know y'all been talking trash about my girl Mary. But this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. This is my boy. <laughs> Can you see the tears in Jesus' eyes when his father claimed him? Even though humans rejected him, his father claimed him. I've come to tell you something. The whole world could turn their back on you, but God will not turn his back on you. You are his child. He claims you. He loves you. He will proclaim you. He says, if you accept me, I'll proclaim you to everything and everyone. In the kingdom, why is this important? It's so you and I understand that Jesus didn't just talk the talk, He lived it, and He needed it. As soon as His father said, As my boy, he went and started gathering young men and women, and he said, You have value, we're family. And when he died on the cross, he looked down and said, Mama, John's going to take care of you. John, we talked about this now. Take care of mama. He was caring for his mama and the thief on the cross while he was dying for the world because this is family. This is fa- Did you catch what he did? He didn't give his mom's care to his brother, James, who many say, many theologians would say wasn't really a full believer until Jesus resurrected. That's what they believe. He didn't give them to half-hearted James. He gave the care of his mother to his spiritual brother, John, because Jesus really believes in this kingdom family. A woman crawls on the ground. She gets up behind Jesus. Come on y'all and touches the tassel of his prayer shawl. She's healed. Jesus turns around and goes, hey, which one of y'all touched me? And everybody was scared. Do you know why? Community culture. Community culture said this, Shomer Nagia. Shomer Nagia. With regard to touch. If you're ceremonially unclean, or if you have the vow of Nagia, you are not to be touched. Even today, if you meet Orthodox Hasidic practicing Jewish women, Jewish beautiful ladies of God. If you meet them and you know that they're Jewish women, you should ask, are you Nagia? If they say yes, do not extend your hand unless they extend theirs. Because they believe in their culture that when they restrict themselves from being touched by the opposite sex, that they're protecting your purity. They're doing it for you. That's cool. This woman In an honor-dishonor culture full of mob violence, she knew that if the crowd knew she touched Jesus, the violence would take place. They would take her to the edge of a cliff and drop rocks on her until she was dead. The minute she came towards Jesus, they were picking up rocks. But the Bible says, trembling with fear. Now you know why. She told Jesus how she had... why she had touched him and how he had made her whole. And she was healed with one touch. But her life was saved with one word. What was the word? The Bible says Jesus looks at her trembling on the ground. I stinking love that scene. I know it seems weird, but I love it. You know why? Because where's my girl at who's leading worship where where's it she's in the back hiding you come here white chocolate come here it's your pretty self come over here can you imagine she's hanging out with Jesus but she's scared everybody knows Jesus is black anyway and she's scared and Jesus looks at her With such love, because she said to herself, I can stay quiet and my life will be all right. But she said, I'd rather die than not. give Jesus his praise. I'm going to tell him what he's done for me. I'm going to glorify him. I'm going to praise him. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. I'm not holding back. He's done too much for me. I can't stay silent. And trembling with fear, she tells everybody people start picking up rocks. Oh, we're going to kill her. She touched the Messiah. We're going to kill her. And Jesus looks at her and says, Daughter. Everybody goes, what did, what, did, what, what did he say? He said, Daughter. Man, you better drop those rocks. Put those rocks down. Yo, un- Uncle Bootsy, I told you to stop. He called her daughter. Everybody breathes a sigh of relief. Whew. It's okay, y'all. They're family. See, in Shomar Nagia, the only people that can touch you is your family. And a doctor, and your father, all of which he is. See, Jesus never lied because Jesus really believed and lived that she is his family. He said it over and over and over and over again. And yet today we still don't understand. We still imagine him as some God deity on high. But what he says is you are my mother and my brothers and my sisters. I have a father. In fact, you do too. Even if your earthly one is jacked up, your heavenly one is perfect. He's a good, good father. And he loves you. And he's accepted you into the family. We are family. What's going to heal this city? What's going to heal our nation is you and I not being afraid to touch people, not being afraid to love people, not being afraid to reach out to people. And know this, the people in our world, they're either one of two things. They're either your neighbor and God says, love them as you love yourself or they're your family of God and you're supposed to love them like you love your own. God has called us to love this city, to wrap our arms around this nation and to make sure the kingdoms of this world know that in Jesus, We are family. That's right. You're stuck with this man for the rest of your life. I'm your brother. I'm your uncle. And yes, I'm crazy. And that's why I hug you. That's why when we're at our best, when tragedy strikes, That's why we show up when other people run away. (laughs) Because we're family. And family shows up when things get rough. Even if our earthly family (laughs) is tripping. You showed up for me. 2020 was hell on earth for evangelists like me that travel every single week, two locations a week, 44 to 46 weeks out of the year. I'm in a church, I'm in a school, I'm somewhere communicating love and the gospel. In schools, it's love. It's my way of being obedient to the government and obedient to God, that I promote love everywhere I go without crossing the line. And then God, his gospel, every week, Can you imagine locking me up for four months? My poor family, they heard so many sermons. And and the savings account, man, our ministry has no debt, but our savings account was gone. You see, we have a mission that we reach young adults, teenagers in foster care, and when These teenagers are about to come of age. That means they turn 18 and they can make a decision whether they're going to stay in care or get out. Most choose to get out. Do you know that 66% of students in care, when they get out of foster care, 66% within one year are in prison, within one year are homeless or dead. That 80%, 88 plus percent of sex traffic people, victims, boys and girls come from foster care so when we reach them we're actually healing the problem God called my wife and I to raise up a generation of people that will serve those beautiful kids we do 16 weeks of life skills and 16 weeks of discipleship When they finish our 16 weeks of classroom instruction as well as volunteerism, and they graduate high school, we gift them a well-running used car so they can go to college and they can get jobs. It's the coolest thing ever, so much fun. (laughs) We've given away well over 150 cars in 10 years in just one of our locations. I did my doctoral dissertation on our results. We've seen over 95% of our kids graduate high school. The numbers are almost double. 60% normally graduate. 95% of ours graduate. Nearly 100% of our students accept Christ for the first time in our program, give their life to Christ. They're baptized in water. And then, Dad, we get them baptized in the Holy Ghost. We call that bilingual. Our statistics are so amazing. The state of Florida has promoted us to other states and now we're in 3 other states we are coming to Minnesota soon it's going to change the country but last year I was at home going to help Jesus help and because of kingdom builders what you invest in you sent money to us to my family and to our ministry Thank you. You didn't just help my kids. You helped my foster babies. You helped us during the shutdown. When everyone else was afraid for themselves, you were selfless. When everyone else was worried about their... You were worried about. Because of you, There's young people that know Jesus and that they've been loved through the time when caseworkers couldn't get to them. Guardian and Lightham couldn't visit kids. No one could go to group homes. They were stuck with no visitation, but we were able to love them. And guess what? We gave away three cars during the pandemic because of you kids were driving to work kids were driving to school kids were working and they were working critical jobs one of our girls became the manager at the at the grocery store because everybody quit and your car got her to work you're a beast for Jesus I want to show you what you did there's a young lady I want to show you on the screen her name is Americus and That's her with her mom and her brother and sister. She actually has one more little sister, but she was removed from that home because of her mom's addiction. It's always pain that removes the kids, it's not evil, it's pain. And all of us deal with it differently. Her mom's pain was addiction. And when Americus was removed, the girl on the left is Americus. She was in nine different placements over just a few years bouncing around. And then we met her. She gave her life to Christ in our program. She committed everything she had to to God and God blessed her. (laughs) She graduated. She's part-time studying university. She works full-time at a nursing home. And she also started her own house cleaning business and she already has four clients of houses that she's cleaning. This girl's working, but she decided that she didn't want her, her family to suffer. You see over a little over a year ago, her mom overdosed and died. So the woman there is no longer in her life and her dad never was. So now her siblings all in different homes, isolated. She said, I'll I'll apply for, for guardianship of my brother's and my brother and my sisters. And she said, I'll take care of them. And, and we normally give these kids economy cars because they need to save money, you know, with gas. But we like, we got to get her a big car. And because of your gift, we were able to go beyond normal. We, we gave more so that we could get a bigger car. It's really cool. And, and her mentor got her, her driver's license, took her, got her train and got her driver's license. And, and then we brought her the DMV and we got her her car keys. And she walked outside and she said, hey, can I say thank you to the people that helped me? I said, oh, yeah. So during the shutdown, check it out. She said, thank you. Thank you. We use that money to change a life. We spent it all. That's why I'm back. Because there's so many more. When you give to kingdom builders, that's what we're doing. Man, we're, can I say what I want to say? I am because Nate's not here. We're kicking the devil's booty. We're jacking him up. Kids are hearing about Jesus. Their lives are being changed. Their future shifted. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All the negative news. I'll be your news today. I got good news. Greater is he that is in us than the enemy that is in this world. We are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Maybe you're here right now and you're saying, Alan, I... I want to be in this family. Will you pray for me that I'll join, that I can be a part of the family of God? Yes, I will. If you want to go from being my neighbor that I love to being my family, it's really simple. You go from being the neighbor that God loves, his creation, to being his child, his spiritual child. That happens when we give our life to Christ, when we submit our life to him and say, God, forgive me of my sin. I want you in my life and I want to be in your life. I want kingdom the king of kings to be my king. If that's you, when I count to three, I'm not gonna embarrass you, but I want you to be honest. If that's you, you go, man, I want this. I'm willing to pray a prayer with you to believe God you're watching from my campuses. I wanna believe God with you. And I want that relationship. When I count to three, I'm gonna have you just wave at me so I know who we're praying with. On every campus, I want you to wave. You say, man, I'm in. I want in, Alan. When I count to three, wave, okay? And then we're gonna pray together. Are you ready? Here we go. One, two, three, wave at me. Yeah, Awesome. So cool. Yay. Yeah. Guess what? We're already on our way to being family. We're standing before the judge right now. He's about to declare us family. (laughs) It's good. Okay. Stand up on your feet. everybody. standing. That's right. Every campus, stand up on your feet. Put your right hand over your heart. I want you to say this prayer with me. And when I say amen... Our other campuses are going to go right to their campus pastor and he's going to lead them in prayer over families and worship is going to take place in this place. We're going to worship together. And then if you have needs, our prayer team will meet you at the altar. They'll pray for you. I'm going to run to the back and hug your neck, okay? And don't you be scared or shy. I will not eat you. Even though I'm hungry. I just want you to know that you're loved. I'm so grateful. I'm grateful for Ron Roosh and Mama Frida who loved me. The little chocolate kid sneaking in your house and stealing stuff. They let me. They didn't even have all the food but they shared their food. They didn't have all the money but they shared what they had. And because of that, you raised up sons and my harvest is your harvest because we're family. If you want to join, if you're already in, let's pray together. Somebody say this, say, Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for giving your life so I could have a new life. I need your forgiveness. To take the place of my sins. I'm asking you, Father, to have me in your family. I'm yours. And now I get to have you. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name now father I pray for my brothers and my sisters all over this room Lord some of us have families and we're going through difficulty with our family Lord some of us have strife and problems and addictions and bondages and pain Lord I pray that you would bring freedom and peace and joy and restoration father that we would understand that we are part of the family of God and you will not turn your back on your children father thank you that you loved us even while we were sinning you had our back thank you Jesus that you care for us and love us in Jesus name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Emmanuel today. You can learn more about the various ministries that Emmanuel offers and see Sunday services live every week. Check out emmanuelcc.org for details. Please be sure to tell others about this broadcast that they could enjoy next week at this same time.